Dr. Antoinette Candia Bailey. It's going to be a doozy, y'all. You know how modern dating can be a dumpster fire? And there's a toxic stereotype that educated professional women of color are not marriage material? Well, I'm the one they call when they want to stop internalizing the toxicity and get their greatest love of all time without sacrificing their passion's purpose or personality. Hey, sweet babies, I'm Candace, and let me tell you, I have been where you are. For years, I was unhappy about my love life and trying to achieve society's idea of a romantic relationship, my families, the churches, the millions of romance novels that I read throughout high school, none of which got me anywhere but unhappy in my love life. Basically, it took abuse, grief, and even homelessness for me to learn how to let go of control and be guided to transform my love life. And as an educated black woman who was taught to achieve and be status-driven, I can tell you it was a very dark night for my soul. I broke free from those struggle love cycles and created a love life that I love that loves me back. I got my gloat, my greatest love of all time. And now I'm here to guide you to do the same. So join me on this journey from feeling disappointed in your relationship history to madly in love, from broken and guarded to whole and happy. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is season 10 of Loving Relationships for Women of Color. I am your host, Candace. If you've been listening to me for the last 10 seasons, we've been together for six years now. It's As I'm recording this, it's January of 2024. Six years together. I started this show in 2018. It's had many incarnations. Um, today's show is just going to be me talking to y'all like we do. If we were having girlfriend chat on the phone, I'm just on the phone with a whole lot of y'all is my hope if you share so people can download. But, um, I want to talk about Dr. Antoinette Candia Bailey, who passed away on January 8th of 2024, um, as a result of self-harm, as a result of suicide. And, um... I guess I should have put a trigger warning before that for anyone who doesn't know at this point. But trigger warning, we are going to be talking about themes of suicide, themes of death, themes of hopelessness. And themes of, themes of hopelessness can be very triggering and um, deeply emotional. So I just want everybody to be prepared that this is going to be the kind of conversation where I really delve deep into what my feelings and thoughts are about this. So this one, it's taken me a minute to talk about it because um, even though I did not know Dr. Candia Bailey, just images of her and what I've heard about the story so far were just really close to my heart. I mean, how many of us have been in jobs (laughs) as black women where it just like... (laughs) You know, they're trying to get more out of you than what they pay you for. They, um, you know, don't know how to communicate with you. All the micro and macro aggressions, uh, often bullying does happen. The frustration. I mean, I know for myself, you know, in my 30s, 40s, um, you know, I, I worked in, I used to be an art director in daytime television. I, most of you who listen know that I used to be the art director for the Wendy Williams show the first couple of seasons. And um, that and the Tyra show before that. And I worked at the judge shows. And although I knew a lot of great people, I don't want to take away from some of the amazing people that I met, amazing and loving people that I met. I know that for my position, first of all, there's not a whole lot of black female art directors in all of New York City or or L.A. combined. (laughs) There's, you know, a handful of us. And so, you know, it was a position that black women don't normally have, at least not back then. We're talking over a decade, decade ago. 
Um, but, you know, just being in a position where you're part servant, but also, you know, there's an expectation that you have a level of expertise and, you know, uh, whatever you do accomplish is considered uh, that's what you were supposed to do. And whatever you don't, that's, you know, because you're inferior somehow. And some of that could be, you know, my own perception. I think sometimes we're in situations where we feel that people treat us a certain way based on, uh, you know, our color, our our gender, all of those things. But we know that we live in a society where oppression is real. We live in a society where biases are real. And we know, we recognize when someone is, um, you know, aggressive based on their perceptions of us. We can't 100% be right all the time. But some of the things are just, you know, they reoccur and it's very evident. <laughs> You know, some of the things, the way people talk to to us, the way people interact with us, communicate with us, the things that they say make it very obvious that there might be a racial or gender bias when we're working with them. So why do I say all of these things? Because the story about Dr. Antoinette Candia Bailey and what I know of it just hits so close to home. Not just the fact that I also have alopecia, but I went through a, a period of time in my previous career, which is how I became a love coach in the first place, where I felt like I feel like she felt based on, uh, you know, on the Roland Martin show, he read her suicide letter. Most of it. It's extensive. I mean, it goes on, I think, for 15 pages. And it was what she really, truly felt. Right. Whether right or wrong, whether you agree with what she, you know, if you were in Lincoln University and you don't agree with the things she was saying, as a matter of fact, the HR director had written her a letter who's also a black woman saying, you know, that your your accusations are unfounded. You know, whether you uh, subscribe to what she was saying or not, we cannot deny that this woman was in a state where she could write 15 pages of gripe about what was going on. And whether you agree with a person or not in that, that situation, that's someone who's in a lot of pain. That's someone who's dealing with a lot of what they are perceiving as unfairness and a lot of being out of control. Meaning that someone else or something else, whether institutional or, you know, a singular human being is causing a feeling of I'm out of control. There's nothing that I can do here. It's hopelessness, right? Something was causing her hopelessness. And to be able to write a 15 page suicide note with everything that she wanted to say probably when she was here speaks volumes about, you know, how we need to look at when we need to communicate, how do we handle it? What do we do? Now, you know, I know we want to jump to the defense that it's not easy for us to communicate, especially in workspaces. It's not easy for us to communicate in relationships, which is what I deal in with, with professional relationships. But we have to be able to look at, you know, how uh, not only how Dr. Candia Bailey was failed, but also how because of her situation, because of her circumstances, she might have failed herself. And this is not a judgment. I don't want anybody to like, let me hurry up and turn this off because now you're trying to victim blame. I'm not victim blaming because there's more of us out here who are looking at her story and feeling that this way. I was there several times there where I was so ready to end my life because I felt so unheard, so ready to end my life because, you know, at work, 
I just, I did not feel valued. I didn't feel valued like my financial compensation. I didn't feel valued for the fact that I was spending most of my life at the job. And um, that doesn't mean that I wasn't at all valued because now I look back and I see where that value lied, but I didn't see it at the time. And I wasn't able to see it because I was also dealing with what were the microaggressions and the macroaggressions and the and the things that were actually real and the incompetent incompetency of people who were above me or in charge of me and the lack of control that I had around things that would have made the job easier or more creative or more meaningful meaningful for me and also the lack of ability that I had to be able to communicate the words that would have at least gotten it off my chest even if I wasn't able to affect change right so I just wanted to explore this conversation around Um, you know, what do we do when we're in the situation that she's in? Now, granted, she was dealing with a lot of mental health issues, but this stuff is cyclical. Like the mental health issues and the depression come out of the belief that there is no hope, right? And the belief that there is no hope comes from the experience of, I'm, you know, I'm being oppressed or I'm being bullied or I'm being uh, diminished, invalidated, disregarded. And the more that I have that experience and believe that I'm, that's what I'm experiencing, the more I experience it, the more I feel it. It's just, it's a cycle that goes around and around. The depression gets stronger. The um, mental health issues get more and more powerful. They last longer. And the longer they last, the, it strengthens the belief that we're having. And then it shows up in our body as all sorts of somatic problems, physical problems. You know, it's something that, only we can get a hold of and only we can make whatever shifts that need to be made in order to get out of it again. Now, we all need support and we all need help. But sometimes in a situation like Dr. Candia Bailey was in, the people that you would hope would have the sense and the ability to help you, the people that would be able to uh, meet requests that you make for yourself when they are incompetent or unable, don't understand, are, are just not able to give us what we need, it means that we have to find another option. It means that we have to find another way. And sometimes that means walking away from a job. Now, I say that like, oh, that's so easy, Candace. I can't just walk away from, you know, uh, my job. And we don't know what her situation is. We don't know who she had to support or who was relying on her. Absolutely, 100%. But sometimes what we do is we put the worldly things before our soul. We put the worldly things before our own value and importance. And as long as we continue to do that, then the worldly things get to determine how valuable that we are. And there is no job and anybody within earshot of what I'm saying, if you are going through what Dr. Antoinette Candia Bailey went through, and I can't help but get emotional when I talk about this, there is no job There is no man, there is no anything out there that is worth your life. There is no anything that you could possibly have. There is no status. There is no degree. There is no any of it. None of it is worth your life. None of it. And when I tell you that so much of it is in abundance and available to you, there's always another job. There's always another man. There's always another opportunity. There's always another something None of it is ever worth your life. 
And so I want to talk about like, you know, I had sort of three points that I had written down. I have my notes here because I knew I was going to get all emotional and I didn't want to be all over the place communicating this with you guys. But, you know, if somebody is out there and you're in that position and in that place, because I can tell you how I got out of that place because I got so close. I started, you know, I was in an abusive relationship. I started having miscarriages. I was in that place. Um, you know, when I did work for the Wendy Williams show, I was miserable because I spent most of my life at that job and, you know, I had no love life to speak of or what I did have to speak of was, was also abusive, even though I wasn't in a relationship at that time. Um, you know, that, those were just two times that I was in a place where the depression and the hopelessness could have taken over, where I could have just, you know, went under and there was no, no help. There was no understanding of, you know, what I would need or how to request what I needed. And I got to hand it to Dr. Candia Bailey. I mean, you know, she knew all the protocols and you know how it is. If you ever have worked in education, there's a lot of protocols for how you ask for what you need, how you make requests for time off, you know, your mental health and things like that, that rely on a certain level of empathy from, let's say your HR director or your, you know, whoever is your direct management, that she, it seems, went through all of the the proper protocols to ask for what she needed. So it's not always as simple as that. Sometimes when, you know, you make requests and the request is a no, they say you're just asking the wrong person. But also it goes back to what I was saying. Sometimes we're so fearful that if we go against the no, that if we say, oh, you're saying no, well, I got to walk away then. Because my mental health is more important. We're so fearful that we'll never have anything else. We won't be able to get another job. We won't be able to survive. We won't be able to sustain ourselves. So the first one that I came up with, when you've gone through all the legal uh, routes, like all the, the, the protocol, all of the, you know, wherever you are, whatever situation that you're in, um, and you, if you're feeling this hopelessness, if you're feeling this, I'm not being heard, I'm being bullied, I'm being invalidated, I'm, I'm feeling disregarded. And you've gone through all of the avenues that you know to go through that are within whatever parameters are in your organization or, um, you know, in whatever partnerships or, you know, whatever sort of thing you've set up and you've done all the things that you know to do around that. At some point, you got to be willing to cut your losses and just say it, speak up, nothing, you know, just, just speak up. Just, it's just about cleansing it. It's just about saying it and getting it off your chest. Now, if you were in a situation like Dr. Candia Bailey, I don't know her situation well enough to say what she should have done, but the little bit that I know about it, I know for myself, what would have benefited me in the job that I was in would be to go directly to the person and say this, that, and the other thing. This does not work. This is how I felt. And the reason I know she had these things to say is just based on her, on her suicide letter. And I don't care how you're going to feel about it. I know I may be fired after I say all of these things, but if I don't say all of these things, it's going to end up killing me. And you need to know that this did not work for me. Now you're like, well, Candace, if I do all of that stuff and I go ahead and risk getting fired, I mean, there's a lot of fears that come up around that, right? So the fear of being fired, the fear of uh, uh, retaliation, the fear of my reputation being tarnished. What if this person, you know, gets so upset then then, you know, they won't write me a recommendation or they blacklist me from a, whatever injury, industry that I work in. Again, none of it worth your life. None of it. It's all people bullshit. None of it ever worth your life. 
right? So when I say what I need to say, because I've gone through every possible route, when I get it off my chest, I get to release myself. Even if the feedback that they gave me is a retaliatory feedback, even if they say all the nasty things that they wanted to say, there's nothing more important than, you know, how do I unburden myself? Now, I think the reason that we're often afraid to do that is because we let ourselves get to a point where we're so angry that if we go in that office and we communicate what we need to to communicate, if we go up to that uh, person, we've been in a relationship. Sometimes people have been married for decades and they're afraid. I know just from watching my parents and they're afraid to say what really, truly needs to be said because they don't know how that person is going to respond. So I, I get it, because if you're so angry that you can't even say it from a place of peace, then that's when we got to turn inward around it, right? We got to take care of that anger piece about it. Because what is that anger piece? That anger is all the fear talking. That anger is all the perception that that person's opinion about me has to matter, that 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 person has the power to invalidate me, that I agree with some of what that person is saying, that I'm afraid that maybe I wasn't good enough. It's triggering all of my not good enough. It's triggering everything that I felt from, you know, when I was a child and nothing was ever good enough or that I was getting, you know, beat for things that I did wrong. And now here I'm an adult dealing with this person who's punishing me with their words or with their silence or, you know, with their ignorance, right? So it brings up all of that old stuff. And if all that stuff is being brought up so much that I can't just go ahead and say what it is, say what it is to that other person, I got to know that, that me taking care of me is number one. And so if that means I just walk away and don't say anything and find, find someone, find the support that I need, I mean, she was a, a working woman, and for any, any of one who's out there who has access to resources, if you have a regular paycheck, you can find access to resources. And I don't mean to say that in an elitist way, but it's like, what, you know, what am I uh, putting my money towards that I can't afford to find, uh, you know, clinical help? I can't afford to find somebody who I can lean on for support who I can talk to, who maybe doesn't have emotional skin in this game, who has nothing to do with what I'm dealing with, who will sit and listen to me and talk to me about it. And I don't know whether Dr. Candia Bailey had uh, clinical assistance. I don't know if it's something that she was looking for. She was aware of her mental challenges. And, you know, the word is, if the assistance that you have, the support that you have is not giving you that release or helping you find that healing, it's just about finding someone else. You got to keep looking for that assistance, for that healing. You got to keep going. Now, I know that's easier said than done because when you're in that state, and I was in that state so many times where you're ready to end it, you think that that's the only answer. But I guess the takeaway is that you just think that that's the only answer. You believe that that's the only answer. It's never the only answer. It's never the only answer because as long as you have breath in your body, there's always a possibility that you don't know about. And I think that speaks to we as women of color think that if we're not in control, it's not going to work. And as much as we so many of us, you know, the highest percentage of people sitting in the church pews every Sunday and praising God and saying we give it up to God. And those of us sitting in the church pews are some of the most controlling people out there, meaning that if I'm not in 100% control of every step of my life, the past, the present, and the future, that it's definitely going to go to shit 
And so I'm feeling out of control. Now I've lost. And so now I got to, you know, do the biggest possible thing, which is be hopeless and end it because I can't be in full control. And so that's another fear, that fear of not being in full control of the situation. And sometimes it's okay to not be in full control of the situation, because I'll tell you, I, my contract was ended with, with Wendy Williams. I didn't choose that. I would have never chose to walk away from a, a job in my previous career. I would have never done that because I was taught that you don't walk away from a paycheck. So that was out of my control. It's like, you just have to go. That's it. I don't have any control over that. And in those moments, it can feel more frightening than anything. But more often than not, when we can be with the fear and be with what, you know, what comes after that and be willing to just say, I give up, I let go, I release, not give up in the sense that I'm, I'm done living, but I give up being in control. I release being in control. When we're willing to say that, that's when the best possible things happen. Because I would have never taken this journey of being a coach, being a love coach, caring about helping others, lifting others up the way that I have, if I would have still been in that career making that nice paycheck and not having to worry about my survival, doing what I want to do, taking my vacations, kicking with my friends. Even as much as I hated my love life, I would have still been there. If they hadn't said, nope, we're done with you. Thank you very much. We're not renewing your contract. If I would have still been there. And because I myself was taught that you never walk away from a paycheck, that status is important, that, you know, as a black woman, we got to achieve because generations before us were, were hindered from being able to achieve. As much as I believed in that and subscribed to that, I would have never, ever walked away from it. But if I hadn't, I would either still be doing what I was doing over 10 years ago, which God forbid, or I would be off this, I would have left this earth. I wouldn't be, I definitely wouldn't be here talking to you because I would have ended my life. So it's that fear of being out of control that we feel like that's the death when in fact that is the life. When you give it up to God, source, universe, humanity, whatever you believe in, whatever higher power, whatever is more than you. And trust me, even if you are an atheist and believe in nothing, there's power that is more than you. There's power in humanity that is bigger than you are. And more than, by more than you, I don't mean more important than you, but more powerful than you. And sometimes the best things that happen to us are come by surprise. I would say most times. But when we think that we have to control every little inch, whether it's in our careers or in our love relationships, we are limited by what we know to do. We are limited by what we've been told we need to be in order to be happy. And as much as I honor my mother for what she taught me about being a black woman, getting an education and making sure that I achieve. And as much as I don't regret any of that, and I'm proud of what I was able to achieve, what I'm most proud of is learning that even without all of those things, I am more valuable than I ever thought that I was. That I am enough, that I'm worthy, that I'm worthy of love, I'm worthy of happiness, I'm worthy, worthy of exploring the world and having what I want to have, even if I never got a master's degree, even if I never had a, a career that had any level of achievement in it whatsoever. But I would have never found that out on my own if I would have stayed needing to have control. 
because I easily could have ended it after that job went away. Not because the job itself. I wasn't even that happy on the job anymore, but it had that status. It had that steady paycheck. It left me that ability in the summer times to have freedom and go on vacations and, and do all kinds of fun stuff. It didn't fulfill me in any other, any other way. I had no romantic love in my life. All I had was a little coughing six-pound Pomeranian. It didn't make me any more financially wise. It didn't enhance my life in any way except for the friendships that I made. They were fun, but I could have made friendships doing anything. Right? But the willingness to say I'm out of control and maybe I need to lay in bed for a few days and, and grieve the control that I thought that I had. But I got to keep going, even though I'm not in control. I don't need to be in control. And that's been my, my last decade or so, is the understanding that the best possible things that can happen to me mainly come from when I release control, when I let go of control. Another fear is the fear of, of being ridiculed. Right. This is a fear that might stop me from saying what it is that I need to say, saying what we need to say. Right. If Dr. Candia Bailey was in a place where, you know, she was feeling like if I actually go and say these things, the things that were in her suicide letter, then they're going to come back with, well, you're incompetent. You're worthless. The work that you did was meaningless, which in a lot of ways they did. That's what made her feel bullied. Right. They're going to come back with, you know, you're you're not that great. So we're letting you go anyway. And if I make that mean that it's true or that I can't take any of the feedback, I couldn't have possibly done the job any better. If I make that mean that anything that they come back with, I have to buy into and believe, even if it makes me feel uh, invalidated or worthless, then of course I'm going to lose my hope. And I tell you one thing, and I talk about this all the time, and it's why I talk about it all the time. You validate you and only you. We have to validate ourselves. We have to find worthiness in ourselves. And it can't be about what we accomplish. It can't be about how we have status over another. It can't be about where we live, what car we drive, um, you know, what we've achieved. And I get that the, the desire is there because generations before us were unable to achieve a lot of the things that we get to achieve. And there's nothing wrong with wanting any of it or doing any of it or even finding it important. But we really have to make a distinction between what makes us valuable as a human being and what makes us worthy as a human being and what just makes our life on this earth, our life in this capitalistic society, you know, our moving about the cabin in this in this world that we live in, this Western world, fun or exciting or um, abundant. It's very different than what makes us worthy. You know what makes us worthy? Our existence. You know what makes us enough? Because we're enough. That's it. We decide that. We get to decide that. So when I know that I'm enough and I know that I'm worthy, I know that I'm worth something, I can walk into anybody's office and I might be shaking. I might, my stomach might be flipping. I might be sweating. But I can say, what, what's happening right now does not work. What you said the other day, when I, when I sent you the request about my mental health, that did not work. It did not support me. And I feel like I'm in a hostile working environment. 
When we had sat down and had that conversation the other day, you told me that, that you were going to do this, that, and the other so that we could get this, that, and the other done. And that did not happen. What happened? I can go in and say those things. And I don't have to go in fighting out of a bag, even though I know I'm, I sound like I'm fighting out of a bag right now because I'm passionate. <laughs> but I don't need to go in that way. Like when I know that I'm valuable and worthy and enough, I can go and have a conversation with you about how something that you have done or said does not work for whatever it is that we are up to creating, whether it's that we work together at a job in any industry and we're trying to create whatever that job creates. You know, she just so happened to work in education. So obviously it's about educating students. So we're on the same team here. And if you treat me badly as a teammate or someone who is uh, of, of assistance to you, that doesn't work for me to be able to get my job done. Like to be able to walk into the office and say, you know what, I've communicated this however many times, I've written this many emails, this is where I'm at with it right now. I'm feeling unheard, I'm feeling bullied, I'm feeling a lack of understanding. So now I'm feeling like I have to make a choice. And so I wanted to sit down and have this conversation with you before I made that choice because I know that because I'm worthy and I'm enough, I can make that choice. You don't get to decide whether I stay on this earth or not. You, you don't get to, to invalidate me and make me so worthless that it's up to you whether I stay on this earth or not. I get to decide that. I get to choose that. I get to choose to say that you are not the last stop on this train. And even in a, in a space of chemical imbalance, and I know, I know, I know, trust me, the queen of sugar psychosis. I'm somebody who can go from, you know, the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. I get it. Sometimes your brain is just telling you this sucks. This sucks. This life sucks. You just got to end it. You got to leave it. But there's always that little part of you, that, that little part of you that if you still have breath in your body and if you're willing if you're willing to say, I release control, and I know I'm repeating myself, but it bears repeating. I release control. The moment I say I release control, I don't have to make any determination about what needs to be done. I just have to know that expressing myself is the most important thing. I release control and I just say where I'm at and how I'm feeling and that's it. And then I see what the world can give back to me. And sometimes that's going to be shit. But that just means that I'm, I'm, I need to release control someplace else. I need to express what's going on with me someplace else, somewhere where they'll give me back gold. Right. And I say all of these things for those not to to victim blame, not to shame Dr. Candia Bailey, because I don't know her whole story. And because she is me, I love her. And I understand exactly where she was and why she was and why she got there. But for those who are in earshot, those who aren't on the ancestral plane, who can still listen to this and feel like she may have felt, I'm saying all of this for you. You got to get to that point where you understand that there is nothing, nothing worth your life. Another reason why we might not speak up and say what's really on our mind is uh, the fear of whatever we're catastrophizing. Right? Trust me when I tell you, you can catastrophize the loss of a job. I know I could like crazy, which is exactly why I would have never left, walked away from that, that last job. 
I would have never walked away. I never walked away from a job voluntarily without another job lined up. Because in my mind, the idea of me walking away to nothing was a catastrophe. Because that might mean that I would be homeless. That might mean that I might have to ask someone else for help. That might mean that I might not be financially sound. And let me tell you, as someone who has experienced homelessness, maybe not on the streets, because I always had people to catch me. I had a friend one time who said, oh, you you always land on your feet. The reason I land on my feet is because, and this is not me virtue signaling or anything like that, but when people need me, I'm there. And so even though I didn't allow it before I truly needed someone, when I started truly needing people, they were there. They helped me out. Whether it was, you know, to put a roof over my head, you know, for a period of time. Shout out to those of you who, who know you came through for me. They were there. Right? And it's not because I'm so great. It's just I, I have that. I, I had to experience that. Because for the longest time, I would be there for other people. But I never asked for any help for myself. I never asked for any support for myself. But in my mind, it would have been a catastrophe for me to need support, for me to need help. It's not a catastrophe to be in a place where you need to ask for someone's help. Because I don't care how successful you are right at this moment or how much money you're making at this moment or how high you think you are in your career. There's something that you are not asking for help around that you need help around. Trust me, I know it. I'm doing it myself right now around my eating. (laughs) I mean, I sometimes ask for help around it, but trust me, it doesn't matter what you figured out, sis, what you think you know. We are all in a place where there is an area that we refuse to ask for help. And as black women, we have told ourselves, convinced ourselves that we got to do it all by ourselves, that it all has to rely on me. It's not going to get done right unless I do it. It's not going to be the way it's supposed to be unless I do it. I got to do every detail. And so we are limited by our own ability. We are limited by our own perspective. We are limited by our mistrust of others to get things done. And I'm not saying we don't have a lot of good reasons for feeling that way. Because, yes, people do let you down. But if we stay in that past thinking that, oh, because I was let down before, I'm just going to be let down again. We stay in that lone wolf space where only I can do it. I don't ask for support. Then the idea of not being able to do for ourselves is a catastrophe. It's a catastrophe. And so I want you to consider, sis. Maybe it's not such a catastrophe. Maybe being in a space where you need to ask for someone else's help is the best possible thing that can happen to you. It may not be what you want, how you want it to go. But when I tell you that you will learn so much about yourself, when you have to humble yourself to ask for things that normally you just easily get for yourself or you've been taught that you'll sacrifice everything in order to be able to get for yourself. That it's a humbling that is so necessary For all of us, I don't care what color you are, what gender you are. Everybody should have to experience what it means to ask for help, what it means to to have to rely on each other, because that's the whole friggin point of why we are here. I say it all the time. I've said it a million times. We are here as human beings to take care of each other and to connect. And I know that in our Western culture, that is not what a lot of people think it's supposed to be. You know, all those people rushing out for toilet paper during covid making sure my family's okay, making sure I got, fuck everybody else, 
That's not why we're here. That's not the point. The point is to connect with each other, take care of each other, look after each other, to be a cycle of abundance, giving and receiving. But most of us are out here trying to give to, to you know, our little enclave from an empty gourd, not allowing ourselves to receive and catastrophizing about what would happen if I can no longer show up the way that I want to show up. And trust me, if you can't, somebody's got your back. And you got to know that. You got to know that and believe that because if you're in a situation where you're being bullied and treated badly at work and there are words that need to be said that you're not saying, you got to trust that maybe not the people at that job Because even that black HR lady at Lincoln University was not on her side. But somebody somewhere has got your back. And you got to be able to trust that. None of it. None of it worth your life. Another fear. Let's see. What did I say? Retaliation. The hurtful words of others. You know, people coming back on you with, you know, uh, what they think your inadequacies are. Hearing the words that you never want to hear. You know, being kicked off the island. Feeling abandoned. You know, that all comes from our traumas and our fears, and it's all reasonable. It all makes sense. But that's why we take the time to heal them. And that's why we ask for the support to heal that stuff so that we have the strength to be able to express ourselves in a way that other people can hear, not fighting out of a bag and not pretending to be nice, but self-expressed being able to say what is truly on our hearts, knowing and trusting that even if I'm out of control of the reaction or the outcome, that it's going to be the best possible reaction or outcome. Because I can tell you, my sweetheart, right now, if you are in a job where you are feeling bullied and unheard and devalued and disregarded, if that is where you sit right now and and you feel like you can't say anything and you're not saying the things that need to be said, you've done all the protocols, you've went through all the systems, you've done everything you know to do, You are in the wrong place. And that's okay. Because the right place is just waiting for you to realize it. And there's a gazillion right places out there. We get so attached to, and you know, I just know from the the suicide letter that, you know, she was very attached to, you know, Lincoln University being her university and the love that she had for it and what it meant to her. And there's nothing wrong with having that sentimentality and that love for something. But just like if you're in a love relationship, if things change, circumstances change, if that thing is not loving you back anymore, that person isn't loving you back anymore, you want to be able to say, I can love and have sentimentality for the past and what it was, but it's no longer that anymore. That means that there is something or someone, some opportunity out there that is what I'm looking for, because likely I have grown out of it. And sometimes we just don't let ourselves grow out of something. I grew out of that art direction job and the people that worked with me or the people who had power over whether I'd have the job again, they knew it before I did. And whether they perceived it as, oh, she's not good enough anymore, doesn't even matter. Because what I learned when I released control after having to release control, being ousted from that job, was that I had grown out of it which was part of the reason why I wasn't really working in that position anymore. Why I would get an attitude when they asked me for things. Why I just felt like "Uh, I'm not as, as passionate about it anymore. I'm not as excited about it anymore. It was fun for a minute, but this is not that great. I'm not really changing the world or making the kind of difference that I know myself to be able to make. I had grown out of it. 
But I would have never let myself discover that on my own without actually being ousted. And so sometimes we got to stop being afraid of shit like that. Stop being afraid of the outcome that's going to be under someone else's control. Because most of, like I said before, the good things that will ever happen to us happen beyond our control. And no matter what you believe in, you got to be willing to accept that. And so the things that I want you to walk away with more than anything else, your mental health. We all know we have the conversations about it, that your mental health is precious and everyone needs support. But everyone doesn't necessarily understand how to be a space for your mental health challenges. And you want to be okay with that because everyone is not meant to be a space for your mental health challenges. Other people have their own mental health challenges, one of them being racism. That is mental illness. So there cannot be an expectation that someone who has biases against you racially or sexism, biases against you gender-wise, will be able to be a, a loving space for your mental health challenges. I mean, that expectation is like saying, you know, I expect the, all, all the, uh, you know, people up in the asylum to understand how, how uh, you know, I'm perceiving the world. Some of them might, some of them won't. But it's very important to understand that just because the people that you hope would doesn't mean that somebody else wouldn't. And that they are just not the people to understand that. And we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with that, you know, where we want to get it from, it may not be from there. Sometimes it's not from your family. And most times it's not from your family. Trust me, when you have mental health challenges, your family is usually the last people. Sometimes they can come through for you and understand, but if they don't have the same challenges or they don't understand this, that, or the other thing, they see you a certain way, they can't be a space. People that you work with for a long time. And again, people who have already have biases against you. You can't expect those people to understand the importance of your mental health. Only you can really truly validate and give worth to the importance of your mental health. Because even someone who's a clinician, I mean, I had a clinician who helped me when I was in the abusive relationship, helped me understand, you know, how my fear was dictating my staying in that relationship. And it was a crazy cycle. And the way that he helped me understand was just by holding my hand and saying, saying that he's, he's got me, like, like that I can talk about it. I'm safe. I'm not going to be hurt, which I cognitively knew that on the outside. But just having someone say, I am a space, a safe space for what is going on with you. Like that was enough for me to just be able to express myself to begin to change the situation. And so just know that it's just about finding that person, finding that person who's willing to be a space for you, who can be a space for you. And yes, sometimes you have to pay that person. Right. Because we're all you know, we live in a capitalistic society. We all need to survive. But, you know, if you're someone who's in the position that Dr. Candia Bailey was in, there's a lot of resources out there for clinical support. And you just keep looking until you find somebody who says, I get it. I got you and can hold your hand and say, look, there is nothing worth your life. None of this is worth your life. And then the last, which is perfect, I segued right into it. It's never worth your life. 
no matter what it is. And, you know, you're talking to a woman who lost three babies and I wanted them. I wanted them. And it was my last chance in my mind physically. It was my last chance because I had it that they had to be biological. I always say that I am a a childless mother because I love to mother people even when they don't want to be mothered. (laughs) And so the, the darkest night of my soul. But it wasn't worth my life because it didn't make me not valuable. It just meant that the choices that I made leading up to that time made it so that wasn't going to be my story. And guess what? That's okay. Because that means in the knowledge of that, I can rewrite my story. I can rewrite a story that gives me joy. And I could sit and live in the regret and be hopeless about it and not let anything else good happen. Or I can make my life mean something. I can make my life mean something and know that nothing is ever going to be more fulfilling for me than helping others grow. And helping others grow doesn't have to happen because I push somebody out biologically. Because that's what the desire always was. To be someone who helps others grow, helps others see their full potential, helps others know that they are valuable, worthy, and enough. And I wish to God that I would have met Dr. Candia Bailey. I wish... I wish that somehow I would have contacted her, known to contact her, or she would have contacted me. Because not only would I have made sure that she had a proper clinician, I would have been on the phone with her. I would have been, I would have coached her. I would have helped her see, like we say in, in uh, my mentor's uh, women's group, Be the Tree, my sister, myself. I would have helped her see that she was not alone. And whether she was right or wrong in all the things that she believed or the things that she said about what was going on, she wasn't alone. That she's not the only sister out there who was going through what she was going through. (sighs) But we can't live in regret, right? We can't base our lives on regret. And I think, you know, the loss of her life while... I, I think it was a useless loss of life. I also think that that everything can be a teaching moment and everything can be an opportunity for us to grow from it. And I wouldn't have necessarily been inspired to do this particular podcast. And for anybody who's listening, if it helps you, I don't care if it's just one person who's out there feeling like this hopelessness. I don't care if it's just one person. Then it, it makes it worth it that she saved somebody else. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to connect in that way. And that's it, my sweethearts. I mean, I don't have anything to sell you. I mean, I do, I have stuff to sell you, but I'm not selling, I'm not selling nothing this show. I just want to honor Dr. Antoinette Candia Bailey and um, honor her life. And even though I did not know her personally and hadn't heard of her until this occurrence, until she took her life, I, I am saddened and um, just grieving her existence and working through my own feelings around, you know, what does it mean to, uh, to reach out, to reach out and ask for help, Right. 
and also inspired to do that <clears throat> even more because I still don't do it the level that I should be doing it. <laughs> All right, my loves, that's it. Just never forget that you are a love machine. If you ever start to feel like you are not getting a lo- enough love, just make more. I love you so much, my sweetheart. Bye now. Take care.